Welcome to the Divorce Proof Marriage Podcast. This is the podcast to hear authentic stories of marriages that have gone from ashes to excellence, tips to improve your own marriage, and experts in fields that will help you navigate the good, the bad, and the in-between of marriage and parenting. I'm your host for the show, Cameron thompson Alaricki. I'm an Enneagram 2 with a one wing, a former public school teacher turned Gottman certified marriage coach, an avid self-improvement reader, homeschool mom, a firm believer in Jesus, and that nothing will change you for the better more than traveling. That being said, this podcast is set up as if you and I were old friends, sitting together, drinking coffee, sharing all our deepest secrets of marriage, life, kids, and the things that set our souls on fire. If improving your marriage, authenticity, and growth are your jam as much as they are mine, you're in the right place, and I couldn't be more excited to have you here. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode, leave a review, and don't forget to share to your socials so that more people can better their marriage along with you. Thanks for listening, and let's jump into this week's episode. Hey, y'all. Before we get started on this week's episode, I have to tell you about the date box. Now, you know that I never share anything I haven't already tried, and I'm ridiculously picky about what I attach my name and brand to. But as a certified marriage coach, one of the things that I'm most passionate about is connection. The more connected you and your partner are, the less conflict you're going to have, the less relationship stress you're going to have, and the more partnership, closer friendship, deeper emotional, and better physical intimacy you're going to have, which leads to a stronger relationship overall. And that's why I've partnered with Happily. Happily understands, like I do, that finding a sitter, matching schedules, or living somewhere with a lot of new things to do may be a challenge. And sometimes you just want to have a date at home in your comfy pants. Am I right? Happily's got you. With a date box that's sent straight to your door, there's no excuse not to have at least one night of customizable connection every single month. Mo and I love our date box. We've customized it to what we like to do, and he loves that there's a customized playlist that we get to listen to on Spotify for a little mood music. I love the cute new recipes that we get to bake together and enjoy as we play a game or activity that they always send us. Now, the games and activities are actually fun and they help us get to know each other because even though we've been married for almost seven years, we're not the same people that we were when we first got together. So getting to know each other for who we are now keeps things fun, spicy, and connected. And if you're struggling to plan a date with your spouse for less than it would cost you to get a sitter and go out, let Happily take care of the planning for you. Just go to thehappily.co Fill out the questionnaire to customize your date box onto what you like to do. Pick how often you want a date box sent to you and type in the code DIVORCEPROOFMARRIAGE, all one word, for 50% off your first month. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Proof Marriage Podcast. Today, we are going to jump in. I am solo on this episode. We're going to actually talk about a topic that is not particularly sexy. It's not particularly fun. Not one that a lot of people want to even think about or talk about. And at the same time, that is exactly why I'm doing it. Um, There is a personal story that I will get to in the second half of this podcast that relates to all of this and lets you know why I'm doing this topic. But one of the biggest reasons also is that, yes, this podcast is called Divorce Proof Marriage. And do I believe that 
all marriages are divorce proof? Absolutely. However, abuse is a choice. And not all marriages will be divorce proof. And a lot of that reason comes down to the fact that it takes two people to make a marriage work. Two people. And if you are in a one-sided marriage, if you are in a one-sided relationship of any kind, it is not a relationship. It is not going to ultimately end up working. Now, can the other person who's not giving effort right now, you know, flip a switch and decide to make effort? Absolutely. Can the other person get their life together and, you know, realize what they've got and realize that marriage is a privilege and, um, you know, the family that you've built is a privilege and make it work and make it and want to make it work again. Absolutely. But again, if that, if that happens, then both people are making the marriage work. So what I'm going to do, the layout of this podcast is going to be some statistics on abuse. Um, just to be aware, you know, there is a very good chance that someone you know and know very well is experiencing abuse right now. I will tell you every couple that has come to me has experienced at least one kind of abuse that we're going to talk about today. And most couples who are fighting, not just arguing, not having disagreements, but truly having fights. And I'm not talking about physical necessarily. Most of them are, you're going to be experiencing some kind of verbal or emotional abuse or both or other kinds of abuse. Okay. Um, we're going to touch on neglect. I will tell you this. Um, my first marriage ended because of emotional neglect. Is that a form of abuse? Yes. But is that, um, is that often looked at as abuse? No. Okay. Now, if you are being, I, and, and this is also why I'm doing this podcast, because if you are listening to this and there is anything in here that's like, Ooh, it's convicting, you know, it's, it's that, Ooh, I, mm, yep. I need to fix that. I need to change that. I need to work on that. That right there is why I'm doing this because that can help your marriage. And if that is convicting, if there's anything in here that's convicting to you, there's a very good chance that you do need to fix that in your marriage. Okay. So all of that being said, let's dive into some of these statistics. Um, and then I'm going to get into the kinds of abuse and then I'm going to tell my story at the end. So here we go. On average, did you know that nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States? During one year, this equates to more than 10 million women and men. 13.8% of men and 27.4% of women aged 16 to 74 have experienced some form of domestic abuse since the age of 16. And that was a study done in 2019 and 2020. This is an equivalent to an estimated 2.9 million males and 5.9 million female victims. For every three victims of, of domestic abuse, two will be female, one will be male. About 41% of women and 26% of men experience sexual violence, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner and reported an intimate partner violence-related impact during their lifetime. 
Intimate partner violence accounts for 15% of all violent crime. Women between the ages of 18 to 24 are most commonly abused by an intimate partner. 19% of domestic violence involves a weapon. Domestic victimization is correlated with a higher rate of depression and suicidal behavior. 19.3 million women and 5.1 million men in the United States have been stalked in their lifetime and 60.8% of female stalking victims and 43.5% of men re reported being stalked by a current or former intimate partner. On average, a victim will go back to the abuser seven times before leaving for good. And all of these statistics and more can be found on the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence website. Um, that is, I believe, ncadv.org. Okay, let's jump into the types of abuse. Again, emotional neglect. If your partner is asking for you to meet their love language, for you to speak their love language, for you to give them more, for you to be emotionally present, be vulnerable, um, you know, deepen the connection, deepen the emotional intimacy in your relationship. They're not getting what they need in that relationship. That emotional neglect is in fact part of abuse. It's not often thought about abuse, but it is part of abuse. All right, let's jump into the obvious, physical abuse. Repeated use of physical force on another person intending to cause injury, pain, impairment, or even death. And what people don't realize is that it's not just that. It's not you physically making contact with another person. Physical abuse is also considered throwing things at people, or just like, like if you get mad, so if you have an anger issue and you have a temper and you put your fist through a window, for example, or if you throw something across the room, or if you throw something at your partner, if you slam the cabinet and then punch it afterwards or slap it, that is all considered physical abuse. So this is this is where and and i'm going to explain to you what all of this looks like and then what to do about it okay but what i will preempt this with is saying that if any of these come up that are convicting there's not any shame in getting help you guys there is not there is not any shame around and and societally yes it does look bad on your character, but do you want to be, and it comes down to how you want to be known. Do you want to be known as someone, because it will eventually come out that you are an abuser. So do you want to be known as an abuser or do you want to be known as someone who did the work and now has a redemption story to say, yeah, I used to be that person and now I'm not because I, I worked on my emotional intelligence. That's what it all comes down to is emotional intelligence, okay? And when I say that abuse is a choice, the reason that I say that is, ask yourself, if you feel in any of this like you are an abuser, ask yourself, would you hit your boss? Would you call your boss bad names? 
And by the way, if you have not figured this out yet, please, 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 please do not listen to this around kids. Do not. If you're listening in the car and your kids are in the backseat and you're like, eh, they're not listening, they're listening. Shut it down. Please listen to this in the privacy of by yourself or yourself and your partner. Make notes, whatever you've got to do. Just please don't don't subject them to this. This is a lot of my podcasts are not um, child friendly, but this one especially. Okay, so examples of physical abuse. We're talking slapping, pinching, scratching, biting, hair pulling, punching, hitting, beating, kicking, shoving, pushing, shaking, choking, strangling, burning, scalding, force feeding, forcing the victim to consume substances that they don't want to using weapons or beating the victim with an object, not letting the victim eat, drink, or use the bathroom. We're talking physical punishment of any kind, okay? Now, obviously, what to do about this? If you are in a physically abusive relationship, get out. What happens is, in a physically abusive relationship, the abuser starts out. Now there's two different kinds of abuse. Okay. There's situational and there's characterological. Situational is I've had too much to drink. I lost my temper. It happens once, maybe twice. Characterological, this happens over and over and over. And what's going, the, the, the cycle, okay, is they hit you. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It'll never happen again. Blah, 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 blah this i'm going to i'm going to get help i'm going to do this i'm going to do that they don't they don't get help then and it and it does happen again okay and then it happens again and it happens again and it's always the same cycle okay or what ends up happening and this is characterological as well is they abuse you and then they gaslight you which we're going to get into with emotional abuse gaslighting is when they tell you, well, I wouldn't have hit you if you wouldn't have done this. If you wouldn't have mouthed off, if you didn't have a slick tongue, I wouldn't have had to hit you. That's gaslighting. Absolutely not okay. So now we've got physical abuse and emotional abuse. So emotional abuse is also known as psychological abuse or mental abuse. And it is when the abuser intellectually or intentionally, sorry, intentionally causes mental or emotional pain in the victim through verbal or nonverbal acts. And it's almost always present when another form of abuse is found, verbal, physical, sexual, financial. It's not just one, okay? All right, so what are some examples of emotional abuse? Again, gaslighting. And if you are not familiar with this, gaslighting, thank God you're not familiar with this, but maybe you are the gaslighter. Gaslighting is any time you twist the words to be against the other person so that that person questions their reality all right and it sounds like things like oh you always do this you always and then they're they're saying something that they actually do so um you always do this you always blame me whenever um you're mad that you didn't get your way. Um, and, and it literally makes you question your sanity because you're sitting here thinking, no, that's, that's you, that you do that. Okay. It's 
um, examples are things like you've caught your partner cheating and they say things like, well, I wouldn't have had to cheat if you would have given me sex. Well, I wouldn't have had to cheat if you would have met my needs. Or they say things like, I'm not cheating. You're just paranoid. Or I'm not that guy. Or I'm not that girl. I would never cheat on you. I would never do that. I'm not that person. That That's against, against everything that I believe in. Meanwhile, you've got receipts right in front of you. You've got a text message from the girl that they've been cheating with or the guy that they've been cheating with. You've got pictures. You've got Instagram messages. You've got, you know, you get, maybe you have Life360 on your phone and you can, you know, you've got a screenshot of their um, location at the person, you know, their affair partner's house. So anything like that where they are trying to distort your reality. Blaming, shaming, controlling manipulation, all of these are examples of emotional abuse, undermining, trivializing, being condescending, isolating the victim from the family, friends, and places, ignoring, excluding, humiliation, degradation, withholding affection and attention on purpose. So if you guys get in a fight and you shut down and you're like, no, like they come to give you a hug and you don't give them a hug. Now, if you've said, hey, I need 20 minutes of space and your partner's coming to give you a hug, you can say, I'm not ready yet. But in that 20 minute, like after that 20 minutes is over, you either need to go try to give them a hug or ask for more time. Okay. So that's, that's the fine line that, that, um, rides there. Um, extreme jealousy, denial and deflection of abusive behavior. I didn't hit you. I, you're making that up. I didn't call you in names. I did not say that, that you're making that up. Those are, that's all. And again, that's, that goes into gaslighting too. Giving the silent treatment, just purposely not talking to your partner for three, four days, couple weeks, months, whatever the case may be. All of that, if, if you are giving your partner the silent treatment, that is emotional abuse. Grow up. Again, abuse is a choice. You need to speak to your partner. You need to ask for time to calm down. But anything after 24 hours where you're not talking to your partner at all, and, and you haven't repaired yet, you're choosing to be pissed off. You're choosing to hold that against them. Dismissiveness, invalidation, indifference, intimidation. Now, here is another type of abuse that is not heard of that much if you are not in the same field that I'm in, or if you haven't been researching, you know, things like, like you haven't been Googling things like gaslighting and things like that. And it's called reactive abuse. And a lot of people are not familiar with, and I actually hate the term because it, it makes it sound like the reaction is the abuse. No, reactive abuse is a manipulation tactic used by abusers to shift the blame to their victims. Okay. It occurs when a person who's being abused reacts to the ongoing persistent or provoking mistreatment with abusive behavior of their own, such as shouting, arguing, or physical aggression. The abuser then uses this reaction as an evidence of the victim's abusiveness and as a way to maintain their power and control. So, um, I'm going to preempt my story here and just give you, give you an example. Um, in the relationship that I was in, what he would do is he would intentionally do things that he knew made me mad. He would intentionally say things that were emotionally abusive, gaslit the shit out of me. 
gaslit me to the no to the nth degree. And then when I had had it and I would and I would even set boundaries, you guys, like, but he would be in my house and I would say, you need to leave. You need to leave. You need to leave. He would put put his shoes on all the mile, all the while, just run in his mouth. And I'm like, a person can only take so much, right? And so then I would start to react. And even if I gave a little bit of a reaction, he would come at me, like physically come at me. And then when I would react even more, he would pull his phone out and start recording me. And he would say things like, like, oh, wow, look how crazy you are. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't know if I can trust you around the kids. Like, do I need to call the cops? Cause you're, you're really crazy. Calling a person crazy at all is, is gaslighting. It's emotional abuse. So the reactive abuse is like, I would start yelling at him to get out. And then that was, that was the reaction that I had. Was it okay? No, my reaction wasn't okay. And at the same time, again, someone can only handle so much at one time. And so then the abuse is him recording me and being like, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to use this in court. Like, you're crazy. Look, look at you. Like, you're not even safe to be around the kids because I'm yelling because, because you've abused me to the point where I can't take it anymore. So reactive abuse is very much, uh, it's very, very difficult to deal with. Um, and if you are reacting, right, um, it's it's very, very difficult to handle those reactions and to keep calm when this person who you value their opinion, because maybe you're related or maybe you're related to them. Maybe they're they're a parent or a sibling. Maybe um, maybe you're married to them. OK, so you value that person's opinion and then they're saying all these things about you like no, that's, that's not right. You're being gaslit. You're starting to question your own reality. All of these things, emotional abuse is very, very difficult to deal with. And here's the thing. A lot of times it goes with verbal abuse. Verbal abuse is generally a form of emotional abuse. And it occurs when an abuser uses words and body language, because remember body language is 58% of communication, body language intentionally to hurt the victim. Okay. So we're talking name calling. We're talking insults, just, just general put downs, unreasonable criticisms, um, commenting about people's weight, commenting about people's hairline, commenting about people's, um, you know, their family, things like that, yelling, swearing, screaming, intimidate, um, intimidating them, um, uh, imitating them, mocking them, harassing them, using sarcasm. A lot of people will use sarcasm as a coping mechanism. It's actually verbal abuse. If you're using sarcasm and jokes in like a loving way, great, cool. A lot of people have that in their relationship and that's actually a connecting point. But if you're using it, you're using sarcasm and and I use the term jokes in parentheses, jokes that your partner does not find funny or that's against them then now now that's verbal abuse all right backhanded compliments accusations blaming lying 
you threatening them. These are all verbal abuse. And again, remember that emotional abuse also shows up with, um, with other forms of abuse as well. We've got sexual abuse. Now, the thing about sexual abuse that people do not realize is that, and a lot of times, like even in a court of law, they will say things like, well, she said yes, so it was consensual. I am raising two boys. And I would agree that it would, I would go so far to say that that it is the majority of women and the majority of societies consensus that consent is not just yes or no consent is enthusiasm if a person says yes i will sleep with you i will you know do oral with you i will i will let you touch me in any way shape or form but is not enthusiastic about it that is a no. And the reason that I say that is there are a lot of reasons why someone feels like they have to say yes. They've been gaslit. They've been emotionally abused. They've been told that they are nothing if they don't do or perform these certain acts. If they are not con- if they are not enthusiastic about having sex with you in any way shape or form, you are sexually abusing them. Now, does this happen in marriage? Absolutely. If you are gaslighting your partner, if you are using sarcasm, if you are using backhanded compliments in order to get them to to get your partner to sleep with you, whether you realize it or not, that is sexual abuse. There is a very large range of reasons why your partner may not want to sleep with you. And a lot of it is probably going to stem from lack of emotional safety, lack of connection, um, you using their vulnerable moments against them um, in, in an argument or just in a conversation, or you opened your big mouth and you said something that they told you in confidence to your mom, your sister, your brother, your dad, whatever. And there's a lack of trust there. There's broken trust. Start there. Okay. It's not just that your partner's being lazy or they just have a low libido or resentment is a symptom of low libido. Okay. So I kind of got off on a soapbox here, but it's very important to understand that. So types and examples of sexual abuse. Here we go. Verbal using spoken or written words to express, evoke, or imply sexual content, such as sexual jokes, name-calling, solicitation, sexting, or stalking. Covert. This is, um, it's, it's masked. So it's attempting to get some form of sexual satisfaction from the victim without their knowledge through stalking, photographing, spying, um, a really big one that is a covert use of sexual abuse. If you are someone who posts pictures of your kids online, like on your Facebook page, on your Instagram stories, etc., I would highly encourage you to stop. I used to do that as well. And I didn't have any experiences myself, but I have had 
friends who's who they have in a roundabout way found their kids on the pictures that they took that someone else copied and put onto um child porn websites and it can be things like we're not even talking like bathtub pictures we're talking about like your kids sliding down the slide at the park there are disgusting people out there that get off on that that literally will watch will look at your your picture of your child doing something that a typical toddler or child is doing and they get off on that so you got to be got to be vigilant of the of the world that we live in anymore folks um and statistically speaking 80% i want to say it's 80% it's a very high percentage of sexual abuse cases are from people you know that means 20% of these cases are from random people 80% are from people that you know, that you trust, that you like, and that you think is going to have your child's best interest at heart. Not true. The age of sleepovers, the age of the things that we did as Generation X, and I would say the latter part of the millennial generation, that that's the, the earlier part of the millennial generation, rather. The things that we did as kids growing up not safe anymore. It's just not because the lack of integrity in humanity anymore is ridiculous. Um, and that's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother day. All right. So visual exposing unwanted sexual content to the victim, such as sexually explicit images, nudity, flashing, and sexting. If you are in the dating world, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you are in the dating world and you get unsolicited pictures of nudes in any, any shape or form, you can report them to the police and they will be charged because that is considered sexual abuse. Physical, again, non-consensual touching, fondling, kissing, oral sex, or intercourse. Ritualistic, sexual abuse blended with some form of spirituality and ritual, such as incest rituals, genital mutilation, and or child marriage, which still happens in the U.S., by the way. I was not aware of that until I started digging into all of this. Next is going to be financial abuse, which can involve any, any type of stealing someone's money, seizing control of it, or preventing them from having their own. It can be manipulation of, well, I'm not doing this until you do this. And I'll give you an example when I get into my story. Spiritual abuse, which involves using a person's religion against them in any way, shape, or form. Now, um, one thing I want to talk about is betrayal trauma. This is not a, um, this is not a type of abuse, but it can happen as a result of abuse. And it doesn't necessarily have to have to be abuse. It absolutely happens with cheating as well. Betrayal trauma, the only way that I can explain this is um, betrayal trauma itself is the pain and emotional distress that you experience after severe deception from a loved one. 
And the more integrated your life is with that person who hurt you, usually the more profound the trauma is. Okay. Betrayal trauma, again, because of abuse, because of cheating, because, you know, you set your life up. If you are going through divorce, I, I would bet dollars to donuts that you have some form of betrayal trauma with you because you, you, you had this vision, you created your life for however many years you've been with your partner. You created a life around their life, around their goals, their dreams, their wants, their desires. Yes, it, you may have had your own as well, but you interwove all of your desires, your dreams, all of these things, and you had this vision of what the future was going to be like. And if your partner cheated on you, if they lied, if they deceived you in any way, shape, or form, which again is most likely one of the causes of, you know, of the breakdown of your marriage is broken trust. There is some betrayal there. Now, how does that feel? What does that look like for you? Imagine, if you will, that your partner puts you in a small plane and takes you up 30,000 feet and they open the side door and they push you out. No parachute, no, no type of landing gear, like no, no type of safety equipment whatsoever. No bungee cords, nothing. And you watch them. They're watching you fall. And you're watching them thinking, they said they loved me. How could they have pushed me out of this airplane? How could they, like, how is it possible that the person who's supposed to love me the most is watching me die? That is betrayal trauma. And it takes a very long time to overcome that. And if you don't, what's going to happen is if you get into a different relationship, which most likely you will, you're going to at some point use that betrayal trauma against your partner, your new partner. You're going to not fully trust them because of what happened in your past. You're going to not fully be able to open up and be vulnerable and give your heart to them because of what happened to your in your past. You're going to have triggers that they're going to do that maybe your your other partner did as well. You have to get help to work on this. And a therapist, not a coach, they have to be, well, a coach can help you if they are trauma informed. But this one, this is one of the instances where I would say a therapist is going to be your best bet. Okay. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, just get out. Like if you're in an abusive relationship, just get out. It's real easy to judge when you are on the other side. And there's a reason, there's a lot of reasons why a person wouldn't. But remember in the statistics, when I told you that it takes about seven times for a person to experience this abuse before and, and leave, but they, they come back seven times, right? Okay. 
here is what I will tell you. Um, I became a marriage coach five years ago because I wanted to help couples. I had been divorced before. It was awful. That year, 2012 was the year that I got divorced the first time. Yes, I said the first time. In 2012, the reason that I, that year was awful. My best friend died in February. We were 27 at the time. She was eight months pregnant and her son died at the same time that she did. She had an ulcer that ruptured and she bled out and the baby didn't get enough oxygen. So he died later that afternoon. So I buried her in February and my husband at the time again, emotional neglect. Um, my husband, I filed for divorce papers in June of that year. Um, so that was horrible. Okay. And it pales in comparison to what I went through for the last two years. It has taken me 11 months to actually record this podcast and tell the story. It is the most vulnerable podcast I have ever recorded and probably ever will record. So when I tell you that it's very, very easy for you standing on the other side of the street to say, just get out. I literally had a friend tell me, well, you know, I guess I just don't understand abuse because I'm just not somebody who takes anybody else's shit. Cool. Me neither. And what I will also tell you is an abuser doesn't start out being an abuser. An abuser love bombs you at the beginning and you don't even realize it's love bombing. They are so charismatic. My husband was gorgeous. He's a pilot. He is successful. He was charismatic. He was so confident to the point of like some would even in the beginning even call him arrogant. I didn't. He had, and he exuded confidence in the beginning. I loved it. Now, as our marriage went along and he became a commercial regional pilot and then went on to Delta, that absolutely, you know, he, he did become arrogant. Um, and the arrogance has become astronomical at this point. But here is what I will tell you. For the first, I, I became a marriage coach because I didn't want people to deal with the divorce. I didn't want people to go through divorce. I didn't want them to feel the pain that I had felt going through my first divorce. And I didn't want my second marriage to end the way that it did. I wanted us to be healthy. I wanted us to be partners. And when you are married to someone who you think loves you and is actually just using you for American citizenship. That betrayal trauma that I was talking about is very, very real. They say that a woman's loyalty is tested when her man has nothing. A man's loyalty is tested when he gets everything. And that is absolutely true in that case. 
So to give you a brief history and some examples of what happened, no one is exempt from abuse, not even a marriage coach. I have three certifications, doesn't matter. I have a college degree, doesn't matter. I consider myself to be a very successful person, doesn't matter. No one is exempt. So when Mo and I got married in 2016, he had come back from Egypt. We had been together for two years at that point. I had met his family. They all loved me or so I thought at this point, I don't know. I don't know if all of that was an act. I don't know. I have no idea. I know that I loved them very, very much. I know that I tried my damnedest to learn the language, learn the culture, be respectful of the culture. I legitimately would have moved to Egypt for six months out of the year to be closer to them. Um, I know that I loved my husband so much. I would not have brought him back. I would not have gone through the rigmarole of going through what is the American immigration system if I didn't. There are women out there that are being paid $100,000 to bring these guys back. And honestly, I don't know how they do it because it is intense and it is, it's a, it's a process. Mo, like I said, was gorgeous. He checked the boxes. He was so good with Mason. He was, you know, I mean, he was learning, but again, that's what marriage is, right? You grow together. So I didn't see it. For the first, well, for the first three years of our marriage, it was hard, but it was good, okay? In 2019, Mo went to Mesa Airlines. It's a regional that runs um, for United, and they they do uh, United States, Canada, and Mexico flights. Little did I know at the time, I did not find this out until about a month ago. Okay. So this happened for five years behind my back. And this is very, very common with pilots. There are pilots out there. <laughs> and I'm going to apologize up front if you never fly again because of what's going on, because you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to expose the whole aviation industry right here. Um, I've never been one that's afraid of conflict. So here we go. Uh, there are a lot of pilots. I've heard stories of pilot of a pilot going to work every, you know, every three or four days. They they would go on a quote unquote trip for four days at a time and then come back, stay home for three, four days, and then go and go again. These trips that he was going on, he was pretending to go to work. His wife calls the airline one day and she says, Hey, I've got an emergency. I need my husband. And the dispatcher says, crew scheduling is who it is. She says, ma'am, your husband retired six years ago. He had a, he had a whole ass family down somewhere in South America that he was going to see once a week for three, four days. So he told the other woman a story. He told his wife a story. Like we're talking a whole, he has two families. He's living a double life. Okay. This, this happens all the time. All the time. Now, are all pilots bad? No. I do know a very small handful that are amazing people. And also, the majority suck 
as as human beings okay they are pilots military and first responders are the least empathetic of all industries they're they're taught to shut their empathy off at the door and not they they aren't taught to turn it back on before they come home i'm working with a pilot right now that legitimately told me in session today as i'm recording this he told me today that he cheated on his wife and he did it because he didn't think that that she would ever find out and so there was no physical harm there but he never considered the emotional effect if he did get caught. Well, guess what, friends? He got caught. And now they're trying to put their marriage back together. And here's the deal. If it happens once or twice, I understand that. Because 65%, and I'm not condoning it, but 65% of marriages have some sort of an infidelity issue in their marriage, whether it be emotional or a physical affair. However. 85% of those who choose to stay together and work on their marriage say that it's the best thing that ever happened to them. Now, is cheating a red line for me? Again, if it would have happened once, I could have overlooked it. I could have forgiven that. But about a month ago, I found out that in 2019, when my husband went to Mesa Airlines, he started cheating physically. While he was telling me that he was staying in crash pads that were all men, they weren't. And he was sleeping with the women in his crash pad, all flight attendants. He was also sleeping with flight attendants on trips. I caught him in a couple of emotional affairs. We talked through it. We went to therapy. We went to counseling. He promised he would never do it again. Blah, blah, blah. All words, no action. And it was a cycle. Here's what I will also tell you. People who are emotionally damaged will always, always be promiscuous. And this is why it's important to learn about abuse and have self-respect and choose to work on your stuff now before you get married. And if you are in a marriage where you're like, man, I, I feel like I'm, I've got a lot of crap to deal with in my childhood deal with it because people who need that that validation from a from an outside source you need the likes on social media you need the hearts you need them the the dms you need you know you're following half naked women or men on instagram or on facebook you're like it's it's a validation thing you guys and that's exactly what my husband's was for my husband's familial culture, we'll just say that. For my husband's familial culture, he did not get the validation that he needed. And in that, he needed validation outside of our marriage. Anytime he was away from me for two or three days, anytime we were in an argument, anytime I was telling him that his avoidant attachment was a little bit too, you know, like we needed to work on this and we needed to become secure and he needed to do, you know, hey, emotionally, I need more, bro. I need more. Nope. I got to go find validation from somewhere else because the narrative in his head was it's never going to be good enough. It's never going to be good enough for her. So I've got to go get it from somewhere else. I got to make sure that I'm still loved. I got to make sure that I'm still wanted. He was always wanted and loved with me. 
And two things can be true at the same time. You can love somebody so freaking much and still need more emotionally from them. So um, let's get into the examples of abuse. In 2022, so keep in mind, um, 2020, let's see, 2019, he started physically cheating on me. 2020, we had a baby. Um, Three months after I had Zane, my husband told me that I was disgusting to look at and he was not sexually attracted to me. Guess what, bro? (laughs) I'm not attracted to myself when I look in the mirror. I just had a baby, a very large baby at that. That's my second child. So yeah, like I know that I'm not in the best shape of my life. And the emotional abuse in him telling me that, number one, that was verbal abuse and emotional abuse. And that, him telling me that, still haunts me three years later. Um, So that was in 2021 that he said that. Uh, Mother's Day of 2022, he hit me for the first time. And again, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, this is situational. He's never done this before. And we've been married like six years at this point. So... It's because he had too much to drink. So this is what's happening in them in the mind of a victim when they're going through the abuse. They make excuses for it because it's never happened before or because it's not that bad or because this isn't like my husband. Why would like it? Yeah, it happened. But like now we've got a kid together. I can't just walk out because he slapped me one time when he was drunk. And we're in the middle of Cancun. I can't call the cops because we're in a completely different country and I don't speak the language. Once we get back to the States, can't call the cops then. There's no mark left because he slapped me. There was no bruise. So now it's just a he said, she said. Circumstances prevent things from from happening. All right. So that was the first time. Hitting me happened another time about and and here's the other thing post-separation abuse absolutely is a thing you think that because the the victim has left or because there's a divorce that's happened oh well the abuse just stops when you leave the abuse stops no the abuse gets worse in a lot of cases sure has mine when we were going through our divorce which it's all final now but when we were going through our divorce you guys my husband threw hard back my ex-husband threw hard back books of my sons at my face because i wouldn't tell him where i was going it wasn't any his damn business but even when we were going through the divorce even now that the divorce is final i still get threats I still get called. There was one day, emotional and verbal abuse. Here's an example for you. There was one day where I was in the house doing cleaning and everything else. He was mad at me. Every time I walked by the bedroom door, he would call me a piece of shit or white trash. Every time I went into the bedroom to get to the to our bathroom to put away towels or to clean the bathroom or to do anything, he would call me, he would repeatedly, what's it like to be white trash? What's it like to be the shittiest mom ever? What's it like to be a piece of shit? Only you know. 
Tell me, piece of shit, what's it like to have the life that you live for seven hours straight? The next day, he went on a trip. He left for, for a flight. I ended up in the emergency room that day, and I spent the entire day in the emergency room feeling like I was having a heart attack because I legitimately had experienced so much emotional abuse the day before. My nervous system was fried. It was a physical manifestation to the emotional abuse and the emotional trauma that I had experienced up until then and that the day before. Abuse isn't always seen. And I didn't tell anybody. And the reason that I didn't tell anybody was because I'm a marriage coach. I'm supposed to have my shit together. People are supposed to look at me for a good example of what a marriage is. And I can't control my husband. I asked him to get coaching. I asked him to get therapy. I begged him to fix things. I would give him, and, and you know what? Here's the thing. It wasn't all bad. There were a lot of days where he was like, hey, what was that tool that you gave, you know, that, that you were talking about on your live today? What was that tool that you posted the other day on your Instagram? Oh, great. Yeah, let's talk about this. Let's figure out how we can implement this. In February of last year, we had just gotten back from Egypt. We went on a date. We talked about connection. Hey, when you go on training, this is what's going to happen. You know, you're going to be gone for three months and it's really hard to stay connected. Um, you know, here's what we need to do. Blah, blah, blah. Let's put a plan in place. Awesome. I feel so great about this. This is going to be so great. You're going to leave. We're going to, me and the boys are going to come to Atlanta a couple of times while you're in Delta training. We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to be there. We're going to meet up with you. It's going to be so great. It's not going to be bad at all because we know what to expect. We've got a plan in place. We came home, he went to the bathroom, he sat on the toilet for 30 minutes and joined Bumble. Little did I know. Abusers are sneaky. And this isn't just my story, you guys. This is the culmination of stories that I hear from clients, from people who just reach out in my DMs all the time, wanting advice or wanting, wanting coaching, but not being able to afford it because now they're a single parent. Pilot wives who constantly write in on the Facebook group pages. Regular, like regular mom groups. I see this all the time. Yes, this is my story, but this is also the story of so many other women out there. I was hit twice, but the emotional abuse happened for years Subtly at first, covert at first, offhanded comments here and there, backhanded compliments here and there. I can look back to our dating and there he, he even threw a couple of backhanded compliments in while we were dating. And I completely blew it off. Because I thought, man, you know, like that was odd. And then he would blame it. Well, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I was just really tired last night. Like that, that was rude. He blamed cultural differences a lot. He blamed English as a second language so much that like, if I ever hear that term again, I'm going to throw up. The gaslighting was ridiculous. I legitimately started researching, am I the gaslighter? If you're in a relationship and you're asking, am I the gaslighter? Am I the, am I the problem here? I will guarantee no. 
because someone who gaslights that much is probably narcissistic, which is a completely different podcast for a completely different day. And people like that, toxic people, narcissists, they don't ask if they're the gaslighter. They don't, they don't have the empathy to ask for that. It's humiliating to be emotionally abused. And you know what? I would have taken being hit any day of the week. I was punched. I had things thrown at me all in the same, you know, experience. Left bruises. And you know what? The bruises heal. Black eyes that, that that you see on on people, you know, as they're walking through and they say they ran into a door or whatever. That never happened to me. But that all heals. Emotional abuse, you can't see. And it cuts worse. It hurts worse. The control. My ex-husband and I are not even married anymore. And he is still trying to control me. He is still, he forced me, here's financial abuse for you. You have to open this credit card only in your name. And we're going to transfer our Egypt trip to this credit card, or I'm not putting you or your son on my health insurance for work. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm barely coaching clients because I don't have the time with homeschooling and everything else. I don't have the income coming in to, you know, to pay for my own health insurance. It's financial abuse. He knew that. He knew I couldn't pay for it myself. He knew that with as accident prone as my oldest is, and with me going to the emergency room for physical manifestations of emotional trauma, I, I've got to have health insurance. We don't have the money for health insurance. We damn sure don't have the money for a $10,000 trip to the emergency room. So financial abuse is that he's he's forcing you to do something. Financial abuse is I'm not going to pay the bills this month. Well, I'm going to pay the bills, but I'm not going to pay your car payment. I'm not going to pay the I'm not going to pay the life insurance premium because I don't I don't want the life insurance. I don't need it, but you do if I die because you've got to have some way for child support to be to be paid. They, he, I don't care. I'm going to be dead. So I don't need the life insurance. That's going to be your problem. So I'm not paying the premium. That's financial abuse. Verbal abuse. We talked about that. I'll be honest with the betrayal. When you're sleeping with multiple partners that your that your wife or husband don't know about, and then you're sleeping with them and there is a possibility of you catching something because you were promiscuous, that should be, in my opinion, considered sexual abuse. When you are in a relationship that is abusive, it is so easy for you to think, I can't give up on them. They have potential. They aren't always like this. You guys, my husband wasn't always like this either. This started when he got the first step to his dream job. It got worse as he upgraded to captain. So as he promoted, 
it got even worse when he landed his complete dream job at Delta. So now he is a Delta pilot living his dream. And all that I did, and, and this is another reason I stayed for so long, because I kept thinking, man, I stayed with this guy when he was sleeping on couches in in podunk airports that have couches that have been in there for 35 years and smelly, greasy men sitting on these couches, but we couldn't afford a hotel for my husband to stay in. So he was taking the the hotel money that he was given in his paycheck just so that we could have a little bit extra every day to pay bills or, or you know, once a week or however long. I stayed with him through all of that. That loyalty being tested, I cooked for him. I was so proud of him. I was proud to be a pilot wife. I did an aviation summit to help other pilot wives navigate this life. I made him look good because of all that I did for him. I busted my butt. I put my dreams on hold. Here's here's also emotional abuse. When your partner is telling you, no, you have to put your dreams on hold because it's not it's not your time yet. Let me get through my dreams. Let me get to the top. Then we can worry about you. Absolutely not. That was something that I dealt with for two and a half years. I wanted to go full-time with coaching. Couldn't, couldn't because he said no. And eventually you guys, this is where the self-respect comes in. I told him I'm doing this. I am mentally, my mental health has tanked as a teacher. I am doing this. Because this is my dream and because I I legitimately cannot mentally or emotionally continue to teach. It is not where my heart is. It is not, I, I can't do it. I am going to, I am going to end up in, in a deep depression. My mental health can't handle it. So I'm going full time. And of course, every month. It was hung over my head exactly how much I made or didn't make at the time. Still is. Even like we'll be talking about the schedule for the month and when he's taking Zane. And somehow he will find a way to throw in how much I am or did or did not make in our marriage. He doesn't have a clue what I make now. And here's the deal. If you are in this relationship and you are thinking, I can't leave because I can't give up on them. Yeah, I was there too. And I kept thinking, I stayed with him at the worst of times. And he kept telling me it was going to get better. And I don't want another woman to get the life that he promised me. I don't want him to be a better version for her than he was for me. And you got to shift your perspective. It's not about giving up on them. The possibility of them being a better person for another woman than they were for you, when it's characterological like it is the, like it is for my ex-husband, they're not going to become better for another person. If they won't do the work, 
to save their family when kids are involved, it's because they don't want to. They're not going to do the work. At some point, especially if they have an avoidant attachment and they avoid hard things consistently, they're not going to do the work. They're not going to become better. It's not about giving up on them. It's about choosing yourself. It's about having enough self-respect to understand that they are choosing abuse. This is a choice they are making and you cannot control your partner. You can set all the boundaries in the world and people like that have a general consensus about them, a general mentality that boundaries and rules don't apply to them. So they're going to blow right through your boundaries. Or they're going to try. You're going to have to get real good at hanging up on them. You're going to have to get real good at only communicating through an app. Not a texting app. Like like our family wizard app. They wouldn't hit their boss. They wouldn't call their boss names. They're not going to gaslight or force their boss to or best friend or whoever. Whoever's close to them outside of your relationship to do things that they don't want to do. And because of that, because they're doing it to you and not to their boss, they don't respect you. So you have to respect yourself enough to leave. Abuse is a choice. And if they are choosing abuse and you've brought it to their attention and they choose not to get help, it's not about giving up on them anymore. They fought my butt off in 2023 for the entire year i had the prayer board at church was filled with prayer requests for my husband i was at the altar every sunday i was asking my mom's group to pray for my husband and for my marriage i was asking i started divorce care because i didn't want to get a divorce but i also didn't know i, I didn't know how to navigate this because this was so much worse than it ever was in 2012 with my first divorce. I legitimately thought this was going to be my forever. I wanted it. I wanted it so bad. And my husband pushed me out of a plane at 30,000 feet and told me, on the day of his, his American citizenship ceremony that he wanted a divorce. I found out six months later that he had been cheating on me with over 15 women in five years. And there was ridiculous amounts of abuse in between there. And I still prayed for my marriage because I didn't want to look like a bad coach. I still coached client. I still had a full five clients last year that I coached the entire year. Their marriages are thriving right now. Thank God. Love it. Lo absolutely proud of them for doing the work. And you know what? The difference is both of them showed up to the sessions every week. Both of them chose their marriage. Both of them chose to improve themselves. Both of them, both, both people in each couple. Both people in each couple, all 10 of them, showed up every week 
to their sessions. All 10 of them chose to improve themselves and do the work. In my marriage, only 50% was doing the work. I worked with four different types of coaches last year. They were amazing for me. Didn't save my marriage, but it did help me, did help me heal, did help me get gain some self-respect back. Because when you've been gaslit and emotionally abused and verbally abused and physically abused and financially, and you have lost all track of reality for your own reality, when you have been drugged down and, and told that you're a piece of shit and that you're white trash that much, and when you've been called out your name that many times, you start to believe it. So thankfully... I've got great friends and I've got these coaches that poured into me, that gave me the courage to start on again, that gave me the ability to look this in the face and call it what it is and to walk away and to let go. And you know what? My son and I, my son's 14. We were driving down the road the other day. I don't even know where we were going, but he looked at me and he said, you know what, mom? He said, now that dad's gone and he, he called my, my ex-husband dad because he's been in, he's been in Mason's life since Mason was five. He was here for the soccer practices. He was here helping with math lessons. He was here, you know, paying for trips to Egypt and going and, and and providing experiences like that. He was here for all of that. And again, two things can be true at the same time. Did he ever hit my kids? Absolutely not. Did my kids ever see him hit me? Nope. But they heard the arguments. They heard him call me names. You can't control your partner. They don't want to help themselves. And you can't make them do what they don't want to do. There's even a, a, a verse in the Bible that talks about if you're pushing your partner or you're pushing someone to do, to, to do something that they don't want to do, even though you know that it's what's best for them, then you're the problem. And that's absolutely true in your marriage. If you're pushing your partner to get help and they don't want to get help and you're forcing them to go to therapy, you're forcing them, like you're threatening them, you can set a boundary. I will not be in a marriage that's one-sided. I will not be in a marriage where there is abuse going on. I will not be in a marriage where my partner does not want to grow with me. But if you are legitimately threatening and saying, if you don't do this, I'm going to leave you. If you don't do this, it's it's all in the wording. It's all in how you word it. You can't be the abuser to get what you want, even though you know it's what's best for your partner. It's not giving up on them when you've done all you can. It's letting go. So what do you do if you are in this type of scenario? 
you get help. You set boundaries. Boundaries that say, I will not be abused. I will not be in a relationship that's one-sided. You pray. You pray, and here's the thing. I prayed all of 2023 for God to change my husband. I read Stormy Omartian's books, The Power of a Praying Wife and The Power of Prayer in Your Marriage, cover to cover to where they look like they have been beaten up by a three-year-old. I read them that many times. I picked a prayer every day, three, four, five times a day, and I would pray for my husband. And you know what? In November of last year, I changed my prayer because it didn't really seem like God was saving my husband. And here's what I will tell you about that. And I know this podcast is already long, but what I will tell you is that God gives free will and he's not going to force anything on anybody. He's not going to change someone who doesn't want to be changed because then it's control and that's not love. And if you believe in the same God I do, and you believe in Jesus Christ as your savior, he is love. So he's not going to force that. So now the prayer needs to change. If you feel like the prayer that you're praying is change my husband, change my husband, change my husband, or change my wife, change my wife, change my wife, and he's not doing that, change your prayer up and start praying for yourself. Change me. Bring to light what I need to fix. Bring to light what I need to change. And if this is not the marriage that I need to be in, change my heart. Show me specifically how I need to change or show me specifically why this relationship isn't good for me. Two weeks after I prayed that prayer, after I first started praying that prayer, was the day my husband threw books at me. And let me tell you, that was a pretty loud wake-up call. When he convinced his sister to come from Turkey and stay in Houston because he needed her for emotional support, and I rearranged two months of my schedule, including Thanksgiving Day, to have them over to make them feel included, to meet his sister so that they, their kid could play with so that their daughter could play with our son. And I was meeting her three, four times a week again, because I absolutely loved her. I love her husband. He's the one that's, that's the most empathetic person I've ever met. We went to the zoo together. We did all these things. Two weeks into it, my ex-husband got a phone call from one of his friends in Germany and he dropped everything. And he left and went to Germany for two weeks. Left his sister here. Left me here. Figure it out, guys. Bye. And he went on a trip. He did that crap constantly in our marriage. He would lie and tell me he was going on a, on a work trip. And it wasn't a work trip. I would, have been, I would put the pieces together. Guys, you got to have common sense. If you are in a relationship, you've got to have common sense. If you think you're being gaslit, if you think you're being lied to, you probably are. I would figure it out that it wasn't a work trip, that he was meeting his cronies somewhere in the world. What I will tell you 
as a listener, if you're not going through this, but maybe you know someone who is, the hardest question to answer after divorce is how are you? It's the hardest question. Essentially, my husband, my ex-husband and I have been separated for six months because all last year he was mostly gone, but his words would say that he wasn't sure or he wanted to come home. And then he would say he wanted to come home. And so I let him and like, it was just more of the same emotional unavailability wouldn't, you know, wouldn't put effort in. And even six months later, even after letting go, even after finding out he's cheated on me, even after God putting together the 3000 piece puzzle of my life that was the last nine years in front of my face and me seeing exactly what's going on, even after him, God giving me the education that I have so that I could make sense of all of this and know exactly what was going on. And then being able to verbalize that to you right now and in posts and in coaching calls to help other people. Still, the hardest question is, how are you? Because there's no way to verbalize that. I have gained so much more than I lost. There are days that I feel psychotic because I miss my husband. I don't miss the the abuse. I don't miss being called names. I don't miss being lied to. I don't miss being treated like shit. But I miss the companionship. I miss the way he was when we first started dating and when we first got married. And at the same time, I know that I miss a man that never existed. Because it was all smoke and mirrors. How am I? I am grieving the loss of a vision of what I legitimately thought the rest of my life would surround. I am grieving the loss of a marriage when I believe so hard, wholeheartedly in marriage. I'm grieving the loss of myself and trying to get that back. But at the same time, finishing the story that I started earlier, this is why I make notes, you guys, because I go off on tangents and you don't know where the hell I've been. And then I, I usually come back. But Mason and I were driving and he said, you know what? He goes, the environment in our house since dad is gone is so much more calm. And it's so much more peaceful and it's so much more happy. And he said, I'm so grateful for that. And he's not wrong. I gained peace. My nervous system can finally calm down. I'm not waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm not waiting for the sad cycle of him love bombing me and telling me all these great and wonderful things. And a week later, 
abusing me in some sort and then telling me he wants a divorce when I call him out on it and we get into an argument about it. And then a week later, after he's given me the silent treatment, him coming back and being like, I was wrong. I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. This is how I'm going to fix it. It was all manipulation. There was never any changed behavior. It was just a bunch of sorries, a bunch of words that meant nothing. I don't miss that. So yeah, I gained a lot. So in that part, I'm great. My boys and I found a really great church that we love last year. Mason and I got baptized on the same day. Again, I've gained a lot. I'm grateful for all of this. And at the same time, the betrayal trauma is still very much there. I am struggling on a daily basis emotionally. And I'm grateful to have clients. I am grateful to coach them and be able to see and and help them through their struggles because it gives me a momentary like release from dealing with my own. I'm in therapy. I've got a coach for myself, a life coach for myself. But I have a lot of PTSD. And what I would very much advise you if you've gone through this, do not start dating again. Do not start dating for at least a year. It is going to take you at least a year to go through all of this and to to really truly work through your shit. And if you don't, you're a lot of it you're just going to take into the next relationship. It's easy to say to get out. If your life is in danger, yeah, you need to. I either left and came back. There was one time two years ago that I left and I packed up our entire apartment and put it in storage. And I, I left for DFW with the intention of moving there for two weeks. It's not that simple. You need to get legal advice before you do something like that. But I was pissed. It was another one of those times where he told me he was going on a work trip and he was actually going to Orlando to meet some friends. He came home to an empty house and, and an empty apartment. And of course, he flew to Dallas and took us to breakfast and told me all the right things. Promises, promises, promises. Didn't didn't follow through on any of it. And that's what happens. But back to the idea that a, that a victim leaves or like basically it takes seven times took me five so don't feel bad and at the same time my life wasn't in danger my sanity sure as hell was but my life wasn't so if that's you if you found any of this convicting because you're the abuser get help 
if you found any of this convicting because you're the victim and you need that strength, reach out to me in my DMs. I will give you a pep talk. And just know that you're not alone. 5.9 million women, 2.9 million men. They're all on your side. If you have made it this far, I appreciate you. If you've made it this far without judging me, you have no idea how much I love you and how much I appreciate you. And if you are in this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this is your experience because it sucks. It sucks so bad. And I truly wouldn't even wish, I, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And it's more complicated than what you know. But if I can get you to remember anything, just remember that it's not about giving up on them. It's about choosing yourself and it's about letting go. I'll see you next week. At Recognizing Potential, I know that you want to have a fulfilling, connected, healthy marriage. In order to do that, you need a few basic needs met first. Sleep, water, proper nutrition, and sex. The problem is that the average American couple only gets four minutes of alone time every day, which makes you feel disconnected, unwanted, and certainly unfulfilled. I believe that to have a great marriage, you have to be the best version of yourself. I also understand that life gets in the way. How do you make time for everything? Stay motivated, keep your metabolism up, and have a better mood? The answer is Amare Mental Wellness Products. They've helped me lose weight to feel better about myself, have more serotonin, more dopamine, so I'm a happier mom, even on bad days, and less cortisol. There's even a supplement for better sex life. Gentlemen, are you needing to go longer, be stronger, and get harder? Or ladies needing to be wetter, more in the mood, and have better climaxes? Um, yes, please. The Ignite line is for you. These supplements have helped my hormones, given me better sleep, and I really just can't say good enough things about the company's values, morals, and the way that they produce the products. I want clean, healthy, and affordable, and I know you do too. So head over to the show notes and click the link for $10 off your first order. This way you can stop feeling like you're drowning and start thriving in life, marriage, and parenting. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Recognizing Potential podcast. If you found the content in this episode helpful, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. I appreciate it so much, and it would absolutely make my day if you would share this episode by taking a screenshot and sharing it on your social media. I'll leave ways to tag me in the show notes, and I will talk to you next week.